What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This episode is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach who's looking to get better, then Stick and Ball is just for you. With weekly updated videos from some of the best baseball and softball coaches in the country, it's a no-brainer. Check them out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Bobby Magallanes, assistant hitting coach for the Atlanta Braves. Bobby's pro career began when the Seattle Mariners selected him in the 50th round of the 1989 MLB draft. He played in professional baseball for 12 years and six of them being in the Mexican League. Bobby's coaching career started in the Los Angeles Angels organization in 2002, and since then he had been a manager or hitting coach in the minor leagues until he was brought up to the major leagues with the Atlanta Braves in 2020, where most recently he was a member of the 2021 World Series Champion. So on the show, we discuss what separated this Braves club, and we take a deep dive into truly what makes a great hitter and a great hitting coach. You're going to love this episode with world champion Bobby Magallanes. It's hard for me to contain my excitement just because of the last uh, couple of months I've gotten to see you and the group that that you guys had go on and, and win a world championship. And it's it's so like fresh and new and man, it's just really exciting. So I like let's just let's start right there. So <laughs> let's try and capture because I'm sure we could spend a whole show on this, but let's try and capture like what what tell us a little bit about that team. Like what what made that team so special? What were they like to be around and just kind of in your in your best way of explaining the magic that is that is fall baseball? Tell us a little bit about that group. Obviously, special group. I mean, anytime you're on a team that wins a World Series, um, it's a special group. It's, it's team is so tough to do, and but we had we it was like you said it was a special group. It it um, we all came together. I mean, chemistry, uh, talent, um, everyone pulling for each other. It, it was uh, uh, such good to be a part of that. And not, not only just with the players, but also with, with the coaching staff for an office. I mean, we're all one unit and uh, we were there for one purpose. That's to win a World Series. And and when you do that, it, it's just a special feeling and we're all pulling for each other. But uh, it, it was a special group with great chemistry. I love hearing that. And I know you, you've been a guy who's been around professional baseball for a long time. I think I read 30 years uh, playing and then and then managing and I would love to hear just what you've been on some really good clubs like we even mentioned in the you won the Texas League uh, a little while back you've won a World Series and then you've probably been on some clubs that weren't as good and talent is it, 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 it is a separator but it I, in my opinion it's not the only one so I would love to hear like what what was the difference with this group? You talked about the culture and like the, the buy-in and, and I'm sure they got hot at the right time. And there was a lot of belief and maturity in that group. It seemed like, but you were in it every day. So I'm seeing this from the outside in and you've got a lot of good veteran players and leaders, but just like you, did it all just come together at the right time with the right group, with the right set of people and with the right talent? Like I'm, I'm just trying to pick this apart, but I guess that's a billion dollar question, right? Well, yeah, I mean, so, you know, obviously we were, we were, I think, uh, under 500 going into, into August. And so 
we just couldn't get rolling. We had a good team. We just couldn't get rolling, but mm-hmm. we had a lot of adversity, uh, injuries. That was the main thing. We, we just couldn't get it rolling because, you know, we had, uh, Travis Darnell go down, you know, uh, silver bat winner last year. Uh, he was our four hole hitter. He goes down. Uh, and then, uh, uh Marcelo Suna goes down as well. He loses mm-hmm. the whole season. Uh, Acuna goes down, loses the rest of the season. We just had so many setbacks and so many injuries. The key guys that uh, it, it just it just seemed like it was one thing after another. And then we just couldn't get hot either. It just we win a couple games in a row and lose a couple games in a row. It, it was just one after another. But once uh, the trade deadline came, Alex Anthopoulos, our GM, went out and got four key players. And that really, really, I think, was a difference uh, of our team. Um, and not only were they talented players, but they came in right away and they meshed with our club. Uh, the, the chemistry, I mean, it, 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 just, it was just a perfect fit. And we got rolling. Everything started clicking after that. The pitching was consistent. The, the bullpen, man, I mean, these guys were phenomenal. They were lights out. Uh, our hitting, our hitting just started picking up, having having some good at bats. But I mean, one through nine, we were we were pretty pretty stacked uh, with with some good hitters with power as well. Um, but to me, it was it was the chemistry of the ball club and how everyone got along and were pulling for one another, mm-hmm. um, and the energy of of, of the team. It, it it was like a, that one goal. Okay, we're we're gonna win, but we're gonna pull for one another and. And that's what I think what set us apart that really helped us go forward. And, and even our, our bench, I mean, our bench guys came in and, and did great. I mean, sure. you saw that in the postseason. Some, our pinch hitters were phenomenal, hitting homers, mm-hmm. hitting key base hits, uh, having some quality at bats. Uh, it, again, it all clicked, and I really believe it was the, just the makeup of the team and the chemistry. Sure, sure. No, that's that's great. And I think it's it's this is a really neat question, too, because you mentioned – three of those of your main contributors going down and then you traded for some of the biggest contributors in the playoffs. And so right before the trade deadline, you acquired, I think three or four different outfielders. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how did you get to know those guys and help them? Because you knew nothing about them and then the playoffs start and not a lot of time to really get to know them. But what what was your process on uh, getting to know those those new guys? What makes them tick? How you can help them, and just your process of gaining trust with them? Well, as you said, that was the main thing: getting to know them. Uh, relationships are big, and in coaching, to me, if there's one thing a quality that I think a coach can have is to be able to build relationships and to have people skills. To me, that's important. Uh, because once once you get to know the person and you get to see what what they're about you can help them better um I, i've said this many a times and you know other podcasts and people when interviewing me i said you know what i don't coach ball players i don't coach baseball players i coach people and so so that's the main thing i want to get to know them and you know when they came in it it was just getting to know them. i ask questions i ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. I think more than than having answers and suggestions, I think uh, a good coach and a good leader is someone who knows how to ask questions. Mm. So I think you have to you ask the right questions, you're going to get some really good answers. You get to really sure. get in deep into what 
what you want to hear and, and what you need to hear from from the players. Sure. So I like doing that and I like to get to know them, you know, what their hobbies, mm -hmm. what they like to do. What, what, you know, when they're going good, what do you do when you're going bad? What do you do? Uh, what, what, what are your routines? What are your, what, what drills, what are your go-to drills? Mm -hmm. Just whatever it is, man, not only just baseball and swing wise, but also what, you know, you know, how many kids you have, you married, um, mm -hmm. you know, what, what does your dad do? Just things like that. Because when you get into knowing the player, you get to see their background, where they're from. Mm -hmm. And that helps me in terms of like how to connect with them. And to earn number one, earn trust, but also what's their learning style? I ask a lot of questions just to see how they learn. Because when they when they respond, when they when, when they respond and they give an answer, it, it paints a picture. It tells me, okay, this is how he thinks. This is how he learns, or this is what he likes. This is what he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, it, like you said, it's it's building the relationship first, and then you earn their trust and. And not only that, when they see that you, if you give them something or they ask for something, like right away, I don't, I don't right away start working with some, okay, this is what we're going to do. I, I mm -hmm. like to see what they have. I like to see what they can do. And then I go mm -hmm. back, just watch video of when they were successful, what they've done. I like to see what they can do because it hitting is so individualized. And, and we need to know that as, as, as coaches, because uh, they're all different and, and they learn different and, and they think differently. Um, so yeah, it, it we get to, we got to get to know that that player first, build relationships, and once you got that, then then you can ask ask something or add something to them, or or they even come up to you, hey, what do you see? And and once they do sure. that, now it opens up the door. Okay, now oh, they yeah. let me in. Mm -hmm. Now you know what this is what I'm seeing. You're doing good here, but you know what you know this is what I'm seeing. Would you, would you like to try something? You know, well, mm -hmm. I ask questions. Hey, what, you know, are, are are you know one question I ask a lot? Okay are you happy? Are you satisfied with where you're at? You know, I look at their career numbers and Hey, so are you good? You're, I see your career 230, 240 hitter. You, are you good with that? Are you happy with that? Now that's If you are great, let's keep going. If not, what are you willing to do? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to get better? I ask questions now when they answer, it's like, okay, you know, it's you, you I would be a big believer in just get to know them and see where sure. they want to go. Sure. No, and I, I would love to hit on your sports psych background. And I know that, that and I listened to you on the Patrick Jones podcast, which he did a phenomenal job uh, and you did as well. But you mentioned that that was one of the tr uh, changing points in your career of when you got your master's in uh, sports psych. And so tell us a little bit about how that process changed you and uh, me having some background in it, not, not a ton, but it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is that coming out. So tell us a little bit about how that went about and, and how you're using it still today. Well, yeah, you know, I ended up getting a, a master's in performance psychology, which, which it's not really, it's not sports psychology. It's, oh, okay. cool. it's, it's not so much clinical sports psychology handles more of the clinical part. Mm -hmm. And, okay. and, uh, it, it, it really digs deep in, into that area of performance psychology has to do more with it, what it talks about performance. I love it. How do you perform better? And it's mm -hmm. not only in sports. It can be a lawyer. It can be a doctor. It can be a teacher, anything. Just how do you perform better? The good ones, what do they do? What is it that the good ones, not the good ones, excuse me, the great ones, what do they do that makes them great? And it's really the study of peak performers. And a peak performer is someone that's good from their rookie year to the last year they played. So it's not like they had one or two good years in between. No, they were good from the beginning to the end. 
you know, what makes them great their whole careers? That's what we're trying to study. We're trying to see what they do and we can pick something from them. But uh, getting that degree really helped me out uh, because, again, it, it taught me the mental part of the game. It taught me how, to, how, to, how does you know, the brain function, what the thoughts are mm-hmm. that creates the moves, that creates our performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's another area in, in performance psychology, which is the mortar skill learning. And that's really where I, that's what made me, uh, to me, I took me to another level as a coach was learning mortar skill learning. Sure. And we studied that in, um, in performance psychology. And that really helped me out to where as a coach, how do we, how do we get guys to transfer their skill into a game? And that's what the, to me, that's what helped me out. And that's what I ended up learning how to create practices and drills that can help the player transfer that skill into the game. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. And, you know, I, I reached out to a couple uh, friends of mine who, who worked with you, uh, Justin Toole being one and uh, Pete Lawrenson uh, being another one. And they both mentioned, hey, you got to ask him about random practice. He loves that. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what you do with that. And it, it ties right into to skill acquisition and, and motor learning. And so I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, you know what? So that's the thing I learned. Uh, there's a thing called block and random practice. And uh block practice is is the type of practice that is repetitive you're just working on one thing at that time and and you're just learning that one skill you know there's no chaos it's 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 example is putting the 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 t and in in one spot and you take 20 swings off the t trying to hit a line drive to the back of the net that's block you're you're you know you're not really working on anything you're just hitting over and over uh there's not much decision making involved um and you're really just working on one thing random is when you're doing variations of that one skill so a random can be if we're going to do it off off a t it can be where i i put uh the t i take one swing and then i move the t to another spot i take a swing after that swing i move it to another height and and and, and uh an area as well okay. and i just it's random i keep moving it around uh it's 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 you're not going a b c you're going a d c b f i mean you're just changing it around to where it's not just one thing after another sure. uh that's called random and and uh, when you do that it, you also add chaos to it so again you can add machine where you're throwing it you're putting it up to a high speed with some movement uh Basically, you want practice to be tougher than the game. That's random. Okay. You want you want the game to be slow. And in baseball, baseball might be the only major sport that doesn't get practice game speed. And sure. and really, you can't because uh, you need pitchers and you can't blow up your pitchers in practice. You know, they mm-hmm. need a pitch. But uh, it's the only sport that really doesn't practice game speed. We're the opposite. We practice slow and then the game is fast. And so in, in random practice, you're trying to create it to where that practice is tougher uh, than the game. That way the game is easier and it's slower. Sure. No, I really like that. And so I, I, I'm curious because, you know, a lot of our listeners are college who will have some down days during the season and an entire off season with the amateur coaches that are listening so high school and down uh there's plenty of time to to be able to do that in the off season and then and sprinkle it in during the season but you're playing every day and 
usually in the off season, I'm assuming you see those guys some, but there's not a lot of them that you see every single day. And so when do you, is it, is it one, is it okay to do that stuff during a major league season? And then two, what would be your best advice uh, in regards to, you know, with pro players and, and, and guys like that, uh, that you've experienced. And I, I'm sure that depends on the level too, but I guess, is it okay to, to do some of that stuff in season? Are they open to doing some of that? Oh, definitely. It's okay. I, I, I encourage it. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously not all hitters, especially at the big league level. You got a lot of veteran players who, who got their own routines. They've got, they, they don't really want to change or kind of a little hesitant to try something, especially when something's worked their whole careers. And I don't blame them. I'm like, Hey, it's because it's all about the bottom line is the game. If the bottom line is the result in the game. Are you hitting? It doesn't matter what you do before. It's like, are you, are you having success in the game? And that's the bottom line. But if you're not, okay, let's try to see, let's help you have that success in the game. And it's research and it's evidence-based research that random practice is the best type of practice to transfer skill into a game. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I did it with a couple guys, not, not many, but yeah, a couple guys, I would do uh, the randomness and it helped them out. You know, it's, sure. and it's not only just like machine. Okay. You want to put the machine up and, and I try to make it hard. Like, you know, slider, Hey, I want to help a slider. I'm having a tough time with the slider. Okay. And I try to make it a dirty slider. Mm-hmm. And they're like, man, I can't hit that. It's like, you know, <laughs> they want to get their confidence. And I'm going, you don't get your confidence by taking 10 line drives to the back of the cage nice and easy right there. I go, that's that's sure. not it because the game's not like that. You're going to go in all of a sudden, there's going to be movement, speeds, change of speeds. Uh, you, you have so many variances and factors. You know, the umpire, you have the catcher, you have the defense. There's so much stuff that you know what it's you're going to come back in and you're going to be 0 for 4 with three strikeouts mm-hmm. and but yet even though you hit off the machine that day you practice nothing but sliders they were just easy getting me over sliders mm-hmm. all of a sudden now you bring into okay let's try to make that slider almost like like the slider you're going to face in the game mm-hmm. with with the same type of break uh vertical break horizontal break spin rate you want to get mm-hmm. that in to where all of a sudden okay now it's like oh it's game on it's tough i might i might not even hit I might take 20 swings and maybe square one up, but that's okay because when you go see it now in the game, it looks slower, looks easier, and mm-hmm. you can get on it. So uh, that, that's – that's yeah, you, you do practice that. And, uh, cool. and the guys who have done it have had success. Uh, sure. I've seen it. It's like it, – because it's proven. It's evidence-based. And, and But a lot of guys aren't willing because you're going to get beat up. Um, you're mm-hmm. not going to have success in practice. And – Right. And to me, it's like if you're having, if practice is easy, then you're you're not challenging yourself. Go, you gotta go to something higher. You gotta go to something tougher. And sure. then when you when you master that, then go to something tougher. Just keep getting, make it harder and harder. Because once you master it, you gotta go to another level. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's so good. And I, uh, for for some reason, I was thinking about okay, uh, I, I love that number one, and then two, I, I think. You know, it, you even mentioned there's some guys who really needed that. Maybe even it was bench guys who aren't, aren't seeing live pitching every single day. And then you've got guys that are playing every day that might do that some. And it's you mentioned understanding what those guys need. And for some reason or another, I was just thinking of, you know, you see you I get to read articles. You get to be in the midst of it all. But reading articles about, uh, you know, guys putting machines on the field before practice or before the game, which I think, you know, it's a, it's a cool idea. And I, I think that it would work, like you mentioned, but also going back to the playoffs when Freddie Freeman was trying to hit ground balls to the shortstop. I'm like, OK, this is like I love that because people were like, that doesn't work. And then he just, you know, 
it, it got him locked in. And so I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, like people aren't, people need to understand like uh, what, like you've mentioned this several times already. So I'm, I'm pretty much repeating what you said, but going back to what does the player need? What's going to get him locked in? He's a, he's a veteran who's been around for forever. Obviously he knows what he needs and you can be there to challenge him when he's not. But I just thought that that, that was so interesting, the dynamic of all or nothing to one side or the other, when mm -hmm. it's rarely ever like that in coaching. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's cues and you got to know the, 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 the hitter it's how does he think what, what gets him to make the move in the game and they might think differently. Uh, and it, it's, they're all different, you know? So if we sure. have 12 hairs or 14, whatever we have, we, as a coaches, we need to speak to all different languages because sure. every guy, the way they cue it is different. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like, you know, I, I can have someone say, okay, when you think of the word bear, what do you think? And, you know, some people might say, oh, shoot. Oh yeah. Bear, uh, an animal. Mm -hmm. And some might say, oh shoot, bear means naked. So those are two <laughs> different things. You're like, yeah. oh my gosh. Sure. I was like, so now it's like, I can't, I can't have the same language for every guy because they, they perceive mm -hmm. it differently. Right. You know, and so it's you, we have to speak their language. It's like, what is it that clicks for them? What what are the cues? What is it that, that where their brain processes what mm -hmm. you're trying to get them to do? And and again, we're we're all different in that in that aspect. Sure. Uh but but yeah, it's it's you know, what what gets that guy to make that move in a game? Because mm -hmm. you can be a great practice player, but we're trying the game is is the is 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 the is the final it, it's sure. it's the exam the final exam it's the game that's where we want to perform and not in practice and i and that's where okay. i tell guys okay you want to be a good practice player or do you want to be a good game player because usually practice practice is tough i mean if you're making mm -hmm. it tough and you're not doing well in practice um and it, because how tough it is the game's going to be easier but if you want it mm -hmm. to be easy in practice where you're just having success and getting confident all of a sudden the game speeds up on you you're not gonna you're 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 just not gonna have that and sure. and that's the one thing i try to i i try to explain to players just that that sure you want the practice to be tougher than the game because you want the game to be slower and easier no doubt no i i, I love that and i'd love to talk some just some game planning and things like that with you i also want to hit on you know reading lately just some of the routines on, on some of those guys and you've got guys like Harper and Shohei who say, said they don't even take on-field BP much anymore, which, you know, 10 or 15 years ago would have been crazy to think. Right. And, but it's those mm -hmm. guys really going through even some struggle, I'm sure to really figure out the process of what works for them. And I, I love, like, I love that aspect of it because I'm sure they've tried and failed several different ways. And mm -hmm. it's just really trying to get to the root of, okay, what's going to make me my, the best version of myself. And I, I just find that awesome. Yeah, you know about not taking BP. There's there's quite a few guys who don't take BP. Uh, last year, Freddie Freeman in a shortened season was our M the MVP of the National League, mm -hmm. and he didn't take BP during the season um, at all. Um, uh, this year, he took a little bit more, but not that much. Uh, uh, I can name you a, a lot of guys that don't take BP during the season. Um, That's cool. Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall didn't take BP the whole year until towards the end of the season. Towards the, uh, playoffs and all that, but this is the guy who led the National League in RBIs and, and didn't take batting practice, you know, on the field. Um, so th it's 
it, it, everything has to do with the guy, what gets him prepared because they're mm-hmm. the ones doing it. They're the ones good. It's, they got to, this is what works for me. That's why you got to get to know yourself. That's where me as, as a coach, I can't say, Oh, you're wrong, man. You're not doing it right. But look right. at the results. It's like, we can't do that. Um, but it's like, okay, what works for that guy? And me personally, if we get really good cage work done, I, I'm okay if a guy doesn't take batting practice because, hey, you're ready. Trust it. Mm-hmm. We we got it done already. Now, if you want to go outside, that's up to you. But because, uh, again, t- too many swings, you get tired, and then you can overanalyze. And then the psychological part comes in. It's like, mm-hmm. man, I had such a great cage session. All of a sudden, I went out to the batting practice, and I didn't hit that good. You know, And it could be a lot of factors. It sure. could be maybe – you know, the, the background wasn't that you liked it, or, or if you're on the road, I just couldn't see it, but good. Or the BP pitcher that was pitching you that day, maybe, maybe wasn't thrown the way you're used to. I mean, there's so many factors that come in that all of a sudden now they're thinking, Oh, guys suck, which is not true. It's like, right. no, you're, you're, it has nothing to do what you do in practice in terms of, of how many line drives you hit. And here's the thing in, in performance psychology, you do not want to base your confidence on how you feel. You don't, because if you're basing on feelings, you're not going to have success because I can ask hitters and I've asked them as a, a lot. Okay. How many years have you played? I've been playing 10 years now professionally. Okay. Count. Can you tell me and count how many times can you count on your hands? How many times in 10 years you felt great up at mm, the plate love that. and they're like, man, maybe a couple times. I mean, they can count them on one hand. Like, there you go. So if you're basing your it. confidence on how you feel, you're not going to have success. That's I don't want them to base off that. Well, it feels good. What sometimes the, what's good doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. You know what's right doesn't feel good. So uh, I mean, it's like if you have a bad batting practice, that's not an indication that if you of you having a bad game. I mean, so many sure. guys have had bad BPs and and gotten off in the game. And how many times have hitters? have had great BPs and you're like going, Oh my gosh. It's like, they struck out three times. Like what happened? You're so good in BP. It's, it's not an indicator. You gotta, you gotta trust the process and you gotta trust that your preparation, you're ready to go. You gotta Mm. get your confidence from your preparation. Sure. No, let's, let's dig into, to that a little bit. So uh, with the group that you're, you're helping lead in some of the most pressure filled situations that you can even imagine, how did you help them through that? Because I, I don't know how many of those guys had ever been to a World Series. I know they mentioned Jock had been to the last three, which is mm. which is crazy. But just thinking about how to go about, you know, winning pitches and just I, I'm just trying to think of okay, man, like if I was in that situation, as I, if I was in the box, I'd be freaking out. But just trying to get them to and and you've been around the game for a long time too. So I'd love to hear your your process on and and what you guys did to just kind of de-escalate the situation and just understand, hey, that we've we may not have been here before, but we've been here before, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously, you know, in the World Series, uh some some of the players did weren't there before, but we did have some who were. And we did have experience. That's the thing. It's it. it's we did. It's like you know, Jorge Soler experienced the World Series with the Cubs. He won the World Series with them, you know, and had a lot of at-bats in, in that postseason. Uh, so he had experience. Charlie Morton, tremendous experience in postseason and World Series, pitching the game seven to to, to clinch it. He, he was there. Um, uh, we, we we had that experience. We did. We did have a couple of players like that. Jock Peterson, I mean, how many 
World Series as he played in. I mean, I mean that helps us out so much having players like that. Travis Darno experiencing World Series with other teams. Um, so we had it. We did have that experience. Uh, but uh, yeah, and there are some of us uh, that didn't have it in the World Series experience as well. But when you mix mm-hmm. that in, and it's like you know we kind of knew how we we needed to act and. And I credit a lot Brian Snitker, our manager. He is phenomenal at taking the pressure away from the players. He keeps it simple the whole season. He doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. It, and that's how he was the, the whole playoffs. And mm-hmm. and when you see that coming from the manager, it's like it just we just go play. It's another game. We're, we're playing another game. You know, yeah, we know that there's pressure. Yeah, because it's excitement. It's it's the World Series. I mean, it's, you know, you right. got, you know, you step out on the field for batting practice and it's, oh my gosh, the media, the media attention is incredible, you know? Um, so it is, there is that excitement. There's, but we're just trying to keep it as simple, still, you know, you know having fun and, and, and doing the same thing and not try to change too much or, mm-hmm. or anything, really. It's like, let's just go, we're playing this game. We're playing baseball today. Mm-hmm. And, and we prepared. That's another thing we did. We, we prepared so much man in 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 the world series I, I i feel like our game planning went to another level in the world series uh as as a staff as a team as an organization and that that helped mm-hmm. us out can you dive into any of that well yeah i mean it's just it's it's just we obviously there's more you get more time to do that because you have off days in between you have off days before you have off days in mm-hmm. between the series so, and I know you're facing the same team over and over. You're like, oh, it's a broken record. But, but we still were, we were just picking things up on, on pitchers. We're picking things up on, on, on what guys do. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, we just, we, I just felt like that and, and the, the, the game plan, the, what our plan for that pitcher and even for the relievers, I really feel went to another level. Our front office did a great job. Our, 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 uh, uh, our analytics department did a phenomenal job of getting us that information. And I mean, these guys mm-hmm. in the front office, it was 24 seven, man. I mean, they didn't, they hardly slept. They were in there getting information over and over, which, you know, you can do that because we're only, you have one series, you're playing one team for, you know, if they went seven games, you're going to plan for seven games. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to worry. It's a three game series. And you got to go to the next team. The next team, it was like, okay, we're going to put all our attention to this one series and this one team. And, mm. and our, our front office and our analytics department did a phenomenal job of giving us that. And, and, and our, our Kevin Seitz, our, our main hitting coach, our head hitting coach, that's to say, he, uh, he did a great job too of, of getting all the information and getting it to bite size and giving it to the players. Sure. And does having veteran players that have a voice and have been there before, does it help with that aspect too? And have seen the guys before. Oh, absolutely. Because you know, you're sometimes you're, you're the, your best coaches as players sometimes are your teammates, are the veteran players, because uh, they're in the grind, they're in there doing it, and uh, they 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 talk shop. I mean, they're they're consistently you know helping each other out, picking each other's heads uh, on 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 games, on game planning, on what they see, what to do, and and yes, those veteran players are are outstanding for a ball club, um, and and I think that's like I said it before. I think that was what we had was was such good leadership and veteran presence that uh, that it helped us out. I love it. So you know, one of the things that that I think uh, I'd like to know more about is what did what did your 
couple of weeks look like? Because you talk about the analysts and the front office not sleeping at all. <laughs> I'm sure you are exactly the same. So I'd, I'd love to hear about your routines and just a little bit about, you know, how you approached every single day. Yeah. So, I mean, routine, you're right. It's a routine oriented sport. Um, it, and that's how I kept it. It, it, you know, I, I, whatever time I, I, I went to the field, I went on, on that bus that, 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 that would take, take all the staff, uh, got there and did the same thing. The first thing I do, I try to maybe get a bite to eat and, and I get my coffee and, and it's Vader room. It's, it's going into the Vader room right away and mm -hmm. trying to see the, you know, go and see the video of the opposing, opposing pitcher. And I try to see his last couple of starts and, and see if we can pick stuff up. We go in and get all the information, all the percentages of what he throws, what's he's in the zone, with what pitches, what's his out pitches, uh, what's, where's the heat maps on him. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, all that stuff. And we go over pitch by pitch and we, we know where it's at. And we're trying to see it too, where it's coming out of his breaking ball. Where's his fastball coming out of? Um, and then uh, from there, we try to get a game plan going. Um, and also the relievers, we do the same thing on the relievers. Sure. So there's a lot of preparation. I mean, that it's it's hours of it, not just you know a couple minutes. It's pretty, you know, it's hours of it. And then from there we go to the I go to the cage and 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 okay, just whoever starts coming in one by one and mm -hmm. and and uh, you know go over also you know go over after I go over the start you know we go over the starting pitchers. It's also going over the hitters, our hitters. Hey, what are they doing? How's their swing? Especially the guys are struggling maybe a little bit. The ones that are fine, you know, don't be out and go into that. But I try to see their swings. Okay, what are they doing? You know, let's see what their what their swing is and and go over that to help them out when they go into the cage. You know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, maybe there's some drills we might add or you know what I'm seeing this. It's just focus on this today. Um, and a lot of it, it it can be just mental and mm -hmm. and it can be something where you know what well, you're just not swinging at strikes right now so don't worry about your swings just i'm looking at the video and those swings excuse me those pitches you swung at were out of the zone so let, let's just worry about just zoning them up your swing's fine so mm -hmm. yeah it's and then during the game uh i'm in the cage a lot especially being nationally where there's no dh i oh, mean yeah, sometimes true. we start we start pinch hitting at times second third inning i mean as early <laughs> as that it can happen right. and and especially if we have an opener, we start using an opener, you know, we might mm -hmm. pinch hit in the second inning. I don't know. It, oh, so cool. our guys is getting those guys ready, uh, those bench guys ready uh, in the uh, in the cage uh, to pinch hit. Oh, that's really cool. I love hearing a little bit of the behind the scenes with that. So, uh, again, going back to the podcast with, with Patrick that you were on, I really – the two-strike approach uh, – piqued my interest. And I, I, when you start to see something or at least a, a theory that comes up several times, especially, you know, World Series champ talks about it as well. I'd love to hear more about that because I, I think uh, Jeff Leach on Twitter posted the other day that said, what was your, what is, what is, or was your two strike approach? And there was literally like threads of different mm -hmm. stuff. And I was like, man, like if I'm thinking about all of this stuff in the box, oh my gosh. Exactly. And it probably depends on the, on the pitcher. But just having kind of a default of, okay, I don't know a ton about this guy, but here's where I'm going to look, and I, I this is when I'm going to go, or just understanding pitch shape and things like that. But I'd love to hear, and and please tell our guests more about just a, kind of a default two-strike approach for those who are, are looking to simplify things. It's I think it's, it's it can be individually based. Because uh, like you said, right now, mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to get so many different answers. Um, it's 
because every hitter is different the way they think. You know, some yeah. guys spread out, choke up, get up on the plate. Uh, some guys don't do it because they say, you know, that that doesn't help them. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is different. That's that's the thing. You know, I know I'm I'm at this level where they're, these guys are the best in the world, but also you have some amateurs, you have all that are listening to this too. Mm-hmm. To me, it's it's simplifying it, and and it comes down it comes down to swinging at strikes. That's the key is to have pitch and zone recognition, because once you can see the ball and you can see it like that. I mean, there's, there's some times where, where if I see, I, I mean, we have so many uh, reports on pitchers and one of the things I like to see when he gets a two strikes is what's his out pitch. What does he like to put away a hitter with? And mm-hmm. also is he in the zone? The, does he expand? So if I see the pitcher with two strikes expands and I'm seeing, Oh my gosh, I mean, all these two strike pitches are out of the zone and guys are chasing uh, now I'm going, wait a minute, we're not going to expand our zone as hitters with two strikes. <laughs> sure. Now we're going to keyhole them. Now I want to mm-hmm. shrink it. If anything, I want to shrink the zone with two strikes. I mean, there are times where I've said to a couple of hitters, hey, you know what? It's a 2-0-3-1 count once he gets to 0-2 on you. Mm-hmm. And keyhole them, and you're gonna, it's going to be a pitch. It's got to be right down the middle. And before you know, we're back to a 3-2 count, and we got back in a 3-2 count like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen that. I've, I've seen – uh, I was in AAA a couple years ago, hitting coach there, and and, and you know as as, as uh, teams were going around, and you know, you, you know you talk to other hitting coaches, you know, say hi, and we 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 uh, you know try to pick each other's heads on things, and but uh, it was going around that that it's like, man, you guys don't chase, man, it's tough to put you guys away, and 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 I'm going, well, your pitchers expand so much, it's like we're just gonna sp- we're we're looking for a pitch right down the middle with two strikes. Mm-hmm. And and we get back in counts, and uh, and and that's the thing. It's like okay, that that that's something that we see when on pitchers. Again, you're going to see some pitchers who have great stuff. It's tough to do, but again, that's just an example of of a two strike approach. W- what can a guy do? It's like it, you you got to take the factor in of what the pitcher does and what the hitter can do, what his abilities are, and how he thinks. Um, when I was in college. Uh, uh, my, uh, the head coach, uh, George Horton, who he was very successful division one coach afterwards mm-hmm. at Cal state Fullerton and at Oregon. And, uh, he, he told us when I was, when I was playing for him, he says, Hey, with two strikes, hit and run a strike. And that approach helped me. Like I was going to hit and run a strike. And, and I was a good hit and run guy. I put the ball in play. I, I can make contact. When I had that approach, it, I, I chased less. I just felt like I can put the bat on the ball because mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't thinking striking out. I wasn't thinking, hey, you know, because all that negative stuff goes in and says don't strike out, which is so negative. You end up striking out. It was more sure. like, okay, I'm going to put this ball in play. But, right. again, I, I think it's it's individualized, and there's so much factors that go into a two-strike approach. But, again, each hitter is different, and you just got to simplify it like you said. How much does expanding the zone in which I used to do and probably why I swung at balls, but also the the anxiety side, how much does that play into hitter striking out more? Huge. It's it's it, I think you're chased more when you don't want to strike out. It's like it's negative. I mean, we learn in psychology is like anytime you say don't sure. do that, you're gonna do it. So don't is negative and then don't strike out. The brain, the last thing it heard when he said, don't strike out was strike out. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably strike out. And then you, the first word was don't that's, which is negative. 
it's like it, it just messes with with your brain and how it functions but it, to me it's like what do you want tell the hitter what you want them to do not what you mm -hmm. don't want them to do sure and and yeah i mean it, to me is when when hitters like okay i don't want to strike out they start expanding the zone that's mm -hmm. when they start chasing that's when it's like right. they, they just like man you i'm just gonna keep swinging and missing still that fear striking out everyone's got fear everyone's mm -hmm. got it. it's it's like how do you handle it the, the mm -hmm. good ones know how to handle that fear okay how do you handle the fear of striking out and again if you're if 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 you're like a, a hitter like you know what if he painted on me i'll tip my hat to him but sometimes like no i, I i'm gonna foul that pitch off and we end up expanding even more and and uh and i'm not saying that we don't want you know foul off pitches no not at all that's what we wanted we want to foul up the tough pitches and hit a mistake Sure. But the point is, is that, you know, everyone has to think different. We've got to get to know each hitter to give them an approach that works for him that could calm him down. No, I really like that a lot. And uh, again, it's, it comes, it comes all full circle back to that, having that relationship with the player, opening those doors of conversation fear with no fear of judgment and just trying to get to the heart of what, what works for them. And I love hearing, you know, I, you are the assistant hitting coach for a big league team and I'm, I'm a high school coach and we're speaking a similar language just because players are, are very similar to the different talent wise, but right. they all go through a fear of judgment, fear of other people's opinions, uh, wanting to impress other, other people and all of that pressure that goes into that. And I, I love hearing that. I think it's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. Oh, very cool. So, you know, one of the, one of the other things I wanted to ask you too, is again, you, uh, you're at, at, at the top of the game and, uh, you may have some different opinions on, you know, how things are going and not, not necessarily other organizations specifically, but just as the game in general, different trends that we go back and forth to. And again, 10 years ago, if Freddie Freeman was hitting backside ground balls, people would have called him crazy because we want, you know, to hit it straight up in the air or, or whatever works for them. And, and it, it's, it's funny because I haven't been in the game as long as you have, but it seems like everything, nothing is new and everything comes back into a full circle of things like that. But what are some different things that, that you feel like maybe overlooked or uh, maybe trending in the wrong direction or just anything, any advice that you could give our coaches that are like, okay, so I really want to continue to improve, but I want to improve at the right stuff. Does anything come to mind? I think uh, what gets overlooked is team chemistry and makeup. Um, and I say that because it's it's so numbers oriented now, baseball, because of uh, all the analytics. And and I, li I, I love numbers. I really do. It paints a picture. I, I, I use the technology. I've used that. I've used – I go in and I like to see all the numbers. I do. But I think the one thing that has been overlooked has been the chemistry on a team and the makeup of the players. Um, you know, teams can go out there and sign these players because the numbers say this, sure. but they overlook the makeup of the player and that can hinder a team. I mean, our makeup was off the charts. Our GM mm -hmm. does a phenomenal job of, of bringing the right players in. I mean, think about this. He traded for Jorge Soler, who was hitting a buck 90 something. He traded for for rosario who was on the dl at the time and he was hitting 240 250 and on the dl mm -hmm. um uh jock peterson was was kind of struggling it, when we trade i mean you're like wait a minute he's trained for these guys but when he does his homework he's like okay what's this guy's makeup mm -hmm. can he help us win you know what and here's another thing too if if a guy's got aptitude then we can help him because he's going to get better 
Sure. Yeah. You know, so, and that's the thing guys have come to what I have seen the last three years here with the Atlanta Braves hitters that we've gotten that have come from other organizations have come in here and that, that we're kind of not doing so well have come here and turned careers around. They've done well. Uh, so we're doing a pretty good job there. And, and that has a, a lot to do with our Breeze and the right guys, but, but we've done a pretty good job of not only winning, but also developing some players. Um, and so, so to me, it's makeup and the chemistry and the makeup of the person to bring in here. And because of analytics, it, it analytics doesn't measure the human factor. And that's the sure. thing where it gets overlooked, the human factor. And that's in not only building a ball club, but also decisions that are made, decisions that are made in-game decisions as well. You know, it, it, a lot of it, the human factor doesn't, it, it, it is not applicable when analytics takes over. And again, I'm a big believer in analytics. I do. It's a paints a picture. It's helped me out a lot as a coach but we also got to take the human factor into it. I really like that. And, and <laughs> funny story. So we, uh, we have the, the, the Dodgers teams as minor league teams in Oklahoma. So a lot of our kids are Dodgers fans, you know? And so we were just chatting about the playoffs and, and they're like, who are you going for? Who are you going for? I was like, man, I, I really like the Braves. And I, I, you know, I, I don't really have a team. And, and so they're like, why, why would you like the Braves? I was like, name a player on there that you don't like. And not that the Dodgers don't have likable players, but mm-hmm. they're like, oh, that's true. Like, and so it, it <laughs> got them thinking point. about that stuff. And, and they were like, man, I really can't. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, see, exactly. And so it got us talking about, you know, why when you hear being a good teammate and being, and that's a, just a force multiplier that I, I, I think you're 100% correct. It, you may not be able to put a number on it, but it makes you, you're around it when you, when you, when you're around it, you can feel it. And you and and the players will point out the best teammates they've ever had too, and how that's made them better. And I I love hearing you say that. That's really cool. Yeah. Yep. So a, a couple of questions before you go is uh, in this one. This one is a heavy one, and so I <laughs> I apologize if it, if it gets too heavy. Uh, but looking like looking forward in ten or fifteen years, when you are telling this world series champion story to maybe your, your kids or your grandkids, and they're asking you about it during Thanksgiving or, or whatever it may be. What is like, what is a story that will come to mind? And one that, that you're like, Oh man, like this was my favorite story about that team. Perseverance. It was a team of perseverance. That's the thing I can tell. And I tell my kids right now, I mean, we still talking about this and, and again, other people that, that call and want to, you know, talk about that. They ask questions as well. But if it's one thing that I take away from this team was perseverance. This team persevered. And it was so awesome. Obviously, we want it all. And that's great. But to be a part of this team and what it did, to mm-hmm. go through what we did. And we were – and here's the thing. Our team never lost hope. It was like we know we're not where we want to be. We're not where we used to be, but we know where we're going to be. We know where we want to get to. And it was just a matter of time. It was like, and, and it was like one thing after another. Oh, now what? Guy gets hurt. Oh, shoot. All of a sudden, our left fielder gets hurt. 3 hitter. Oh, now what? <laughs> and all of a sudden, Acuna gets hurt. Like, what now? And then we have our ace in game one of the World Series, breaks his, 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 uh, his leg. He's out. You're like, mm. what now? But here's the thing. We persevered. And... And, uh, you know, I, I use the Bible a lot, uh, 
uh, I read a lot and I use a, a lot. That's where I get my faith and everything. But, you know, the Bible says that those who persevere till the end shall be saved. And also it says that perseverance produces character and character produces hope. You got to persevere to produce character, to give you the hope for that future. And, and that's one thing, if I can say about the team, what I remember most is how it persevered. Everything, every mountain we had to climb and push out of the way, every, every sea we had to go through where God opened up the waters for us because we didn't know what the hell we we're going to cross it. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. he opens up the waters. To me, it was a perseverance in the faith that got us through. Mm, man, I'm really kicking myself because I wish I would have ended with that question. <laughs> but I, I've got a, I've got a couple more for you before you go. But man, that that is so good. Oh, I love that. Uh, man. Okay. So uh, let's dig into you a little bit. We have a lot of coaches that are listening who are like, man, I would love to be the best version of myself, whether that's the assistant hitting coach someday in the big leagues or just a really good high school youth coach, whatever it may be. So what's something that, you, that you've learned lately that has really piqued your interest or you've gotten excited about? You know what, lately, what I, this year, what I learned, I'm telling you what, what I'm learning every, relearn every year. There's two things that I'm excited about and, and I've learned. The number one are cues. Learning the cues. Cues are big in coaching. And it's something that that I this year I, I started learning more. Our assistant, excuse me, I'm sorry, Susan, I'm sorry. Our uh, minor league hitting coordinator, Mike Bromley, is really good at that. He he knows how to how to give cues to help a guy, you know, make a move. And but but there's also, I mean, there there's studies done on that on cueing, how how, mm-hmm. how to give cues to hitters, whatever it is. And, and like I said earlier, every guy's different. And that's one thing I think I learned was okay, cues. What is it that that get, gets them going? And every guy's different, you know. I mean, sure. you know, it, some guys. I like to use like I like to know what they do. Like, hey, what hobby? Some guys are hunters. Some guys are fishers. Some fishermen. Excuse me. Some guys l- like to play golf. Some guys play basketball. Some guys play football. So I try, okay. So when you do that, I try to incorporate those things that, that can help them. Like, oh, so that's what I need to do. And so cues are so important in coaching because we can be so verbose and overcoach it that we're like, we're right. like saying, okay, I'm going to say this because this is my language and I want this guy to learn my language, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get it. It's like, no, it's like, okay, what are his cues? That's why I'm always going, okay. I just worked with, with the kid the uh, last three days. I've known him since he was in high school. He got drafted this year. Uh, and so, I mean, his dad's my best friend from high school, one of my best friends from high school. And they came just to, for me to work with them in the off season. And so I was trying to get him a certain move and all of a sudden it clicked. I'm going, okay. And I said, okay. And as soon as it clicked, I stopped. I didn't keep it going. And the reason why I stopped it, I stopped the drill. I said, what were you thinking right there? Because that's it. Tell me what is it? And he goes, well, you know what? He goes, he goes, what I did. I know you were telling me this, but all of a sudden, what I thought was right now is I just told myself, Hey, I want you to be more relaxed. Don't be so tense. He goes and hit the ball out front. And I went, how simple is that? And I went, those are cute. And I wrote to them for three days and all those three days, whenever I felt like the swing was kind of off, Hey, I go hit it out front and be relaxed. And all of a sudden, bam. So the point is, is cueing is so important because those little cues is what gets guys going. Uh, so that's one thing I learned. Um, and, and, uh, 
probably the other oh the game planning this year we just talked about it. i don't need to go okay. into there but the game planning that's the thing that i learned a lot this year and and i can't wait for next year uh because i really believe that 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 we got better uh in game planning and and game planning is huge it is sure. we found that out and and even in, in the high school level any level mm-hmm. we, you can game plan and have and give guys plan it's not just hey you know, slay off his curveball. Hey, look up. Mm-hmm. It's not just that. It's more specific. And we have a lot more information than you guys do, but it's more specific. And I think once you get into the game planning, man, you we can really beat the other team. I love that. Second question was, what is something that you used to believe that you've changed your mind about? <laughs> man, I was old school. I was stubborn and I was old school. I, I was this is the way I've always done it. And I, I wasn't learning. I tell you where it turned around for me. It was in 2015. I was a hitting coach in a ball and I was with the Cleveland Indians first year with them. And, uh, they're big on growth mindset. And, uh, so anyways, uh, I started learning more about, okay, I need to get better because this way is not working. What I've done and what I've learned this whole time, just what I was taught when I was playing and, and nothing against the old coaches at all, not at all, because it, they, they taught what they knew. I mean, I can't blame them for certain things. They taught what they knew, but we have so much information now. But, but it's something now that I learned uh, was to investigate, to research, and to become a and, and to be a learner, you mm-hmm. know, to have a growth mindset. And and before I didn't, I had a fixed mindset. Now, you know, having a growth mindset is something that 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 I learned. And that's that's where I think I've gone to another level. That before I was stuck on my ways. Now, like, okay, I'm going to research this and 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 learn and try to see if this way is better than than what I than the, what I was been teaching or 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 or, uh, or what I was taught. So oh, cool. that's something that I, yeah, it's just having a growth mindset. Sure. No, I love that. Carol Dweck's book mindset or yeah. Yeah. Carol Dweck, uh, that changed my life too. Like I was very fixed and I, i still am in some different areas. And so just understanding that and my biases, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I love that. Uh, with, with, uh, the drill. So I, so always when people are, are listening to the show, they're trying to get like one practical takeaway. So what's the drill that your players love that we can steal from you? You know, uh, man, again, thing is the way I teach, I'm going to try to come up with something right now, but sure, sure. it's not one drill. That's why mm-hmm. it's it, what I believe in as a coach is I, I get the guy first. Okay. What can you, where is it? Where is the, where's the issue? And that's where I try to I, I try to see where the kinematic sequence is. Okay, where is it, where is it off? Is it his hands? Is it his elbows? Is it his rear hip? Is it is it his launch position? Is it his timing? Is it mental? Is it, it's all that factors come in. And mm-hmm. and I don't I, I have a tool toolbox and a bag that I travel with. I got a bunch of toys in there, and I use constraints to coach to teach hitting. And and every year it gets bigger and bigger because I get more stuff because I learn more stuff. And but. It's like, okay, I'm trying to get this guy to make this move because this is where I'm seeing the issues at. And so I give them the drill for that. I don't give the same drills for everybody. That's the thing. It's like, it's not, you see on the internet, 
so many people, there's so much people out there on the internet and yeah, they have all these drills, but these drills aren't for everybody. Those are mm -hmm. just maybe that one drill that they're showing might be for that person that they're working with right there. But it's one drill isn't for everybody. That's mm -hmm. the thing. It's just not it. the way it is because it's like, okay, where's the issue with the hitter? Right. So, but, but again, if there's, if there's a drill that, that a couple of our guys did, um, again, I'm not saying that this is the one drill everyone's doing. Now I don't have them do sure. the same drill at all, but, yeah. uh, to me, to land in a good hitting position, get their landing to me is huge because mm -hmm. a lot of guys, even the big leagues that they're inconsistent, getting to a good hitting position, landing in, in a good posture and a good, a good setup to land. So, uh, to me, drills for that, uh, I, uh, there's this uh, band, like a, a, a rubber band gets stretched and I put it behind them mm -hmm. in here and I put it in between their, their legs and yeah. that band keeps them stacked. What okay. I mean by stacked, their shoulders, hips, knees, all they move and you're, keep, you're, you're striding and you're keeping that stack to your landing mm -hmm. position, to your fire position. And mm -hmm. that, that, uh, um, uh, that apparatus helps them maintain it. And when they swing, it, it keeps them right there it doesn't let them go so that that's one thing that that, that a couple guys did i liked and and uh, another one and, and i do it just because i want them to feel direction is is a uh a dead lower after where i just tell guys okay just pretend your your feet get your launch position your feet are in cement or in quicksand you can't move them mm -hmm. just go ahead and just move your upper body just to get them to feel of that torso moving swinging from the middle uh sure. of, of of their body and keeping direction through um, mm -hmm. those are just a, I mean, I got so many, there's so many of them, but <laughs> right. those right. are just no, that's a, a good start. That, yeah, for sure. That, that's just a, a couple that I can share. No, no doubt. I love it. Well, last one, uh, before we roll the outro, uh, are there any books or uh, anything that, that you, you mentioned the growth mindset? And so I'll put, uh, mm -hmm. Carol's book down below, but are there any other books that you've dug into lately that you've liked or any that come to mind that have uh, helped you with your career? Yeah. You know, you know something, uh, hold on. It's funny. Cause I, I was going over some, some, some things that today, earlier today, I was just going over some sure. things, mm -hmm. but so the one, the one is probably Carol Dweck's book on mindset. I I've read it already. So it's growth mindset. It's, it's called mindset. And that's a great mm -hmm. book mm -hmm. to me. I would start with that. There's another one that I got that, that I had in my master's program. It's called mortar learning and performance by Richard Schmidt and Timothy Lee. That's the one that helped me the most of all the books that's the one that helped me the most on, on hitting because it's more to skill learning how we move how the brain tells the body how to move and how how we practice that what makes us do things that 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 we do um uh, and and i'm i highly recommend that book because it's going to teach you on more to skill learning um and uh another one that and it's not a book it's a it's a website that I, I recommend it's called swing, uh, excuse me. So, I'm sorry. It's called train ugly, train yeah. ugly. And, uh, yeah. I, I would highly recommend people going there because it, it talks about the random practice and the block practice. And it, it talks also about mortar skill learning, how, how, how we learn how to transfer skills into a game. Sure. Um, and the last one, like I said earlier was the Bible. I, I tell you what I, in this, in this uh, master's program that I was in, in performance psychology, a lot of the stuff that I learned in that was, is in the Bible. It's like, but, 
but here's the thing man wants to take credit for it you know it's like man's like look look how smart i am and all that and i'm going man that's in the bible that's in the bible that's just the way i i read the bible a lot i get a lot of my stuff there but but that's another book that i would say man that not only can help you hitting but it's life-changing well, like i mentioned earlier what's what's new is is never really new right and yeah, exactly. the more i dig into the bible the more i'm like this stuff that i'm dealing with david was dealing with you he's a he's a lot cooler guy than i am but uh yeah, anyways, no, I, yeah. I, I love that but uh bobby man I, I i appreciate your time i know that that it's limited in the off season and so I, I really appreciate it but i do want to leave you the opportunity to just talk to our guests is there anything else that you'd like to for them to know or or to let them to leave them with before you go be a lifelong learner um have a growth mindset and be a lifelong learner. Uh, I'm a big believer that leaders are learners. And, and also when you coach and when you're teaching, we learn through failure. And I try to not to use the word fail too much because I'm a big believer that we either, we either, we either learn when we either succeed or we learn, but we don't, we don't lose. We don't fail, you know? So, when you talk about failure, it's like you didn't fail. You just learned. So you, you didn't, you didn't fail. And a lot of people look at it that way. Like, Oh, I suck. Or, you know, I failed. Like, no, that's how we learn. So you either learn, we either learn, but, or, or we win, but we don't lose. You know, um, it's, it's, we, we, we learn that way. And that's the only way. That's how the randomness is. The random, the random practice. I mean, you want, you want to keep making it tough where we're, we're failing a little bit, but mm -hmm. keep having a growth mindset and be a lifelong learner. Research things. Don't just take it because you saw someone on the internet that said this. Okay, well, well, investigate it. Go online or go into into evidence-based research studies or peer-reviewed studies on that subject and see if what they're saying is is right. You know, because uh, we want the truth, and 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 that's what I've done. I, I've I've that's where I said earlier. I I didn't have that. I was stuck on my ways, old school. There's we always done it. You know, guy got all this experience, which is good. But now, when you combine the experience with knowledge, with with truth, and and evidence based research studies, it's you're you're going to be a good coach, and you're going to help a lot of people. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you are listening. I also wanted to remind you that you can find the video portion at the AOTC channel on stickandball.tv. Have a great week.